It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Thursday, July 16th, 2009. been a little bit of a ride, an emotional ride, if you would. I feel like I need a day off <laughs> after uh, my interview slash debate with uh, Shirley Phelps Roper. Man, wealth of information from that interview. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which is to get you to help, get to help you to think. Got to work on that sentence today. Get, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And you don't get to pass the final unless you also compare what I say to the Word of God. I, I'm not always right. And so uh, you know, I believe God's word is true, and there's been many times in my life when I've needed to uh, repent of a bad opinion, a bad idea, not just my sins, and that's a daily thing, but to also to repent of, of, of a piece of false doctrine that I was holding on to, and instead embrace uh, God's word and truth and uh, lay aside false notions. All right, got an interesting program lined up for you today, but what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the interview that I conducted with uh, Shirley Phelps Roper of Westboro Baptist Church. And uh, so rather than cut it up into sound bites, uh, we're going to walk through it. So that means I'm going to interrupt it and to interject. Part of what I want to do is interject what was I thinking, what was my strategy, what was I trying to accomplish um, and then also comment on what did we learn and what did we think. And so, you know, today we're going to actually debrief on the whole thing. I think it'd be a good exercise for not just me, but also you, uh, the listeners. And uh, got to thank all of you. Man, the email on this has been uh, <laughs> outrageous. Definitely by far the most uh, listened to episode of Fighting for the Faith thus far and the most commented on. And so... Uh, I appreciate all the email coming in. I will get to some of that, not in this edition, but uh, over the next uh, few episodes after this, you know, I will be bringing in some uh, some email and letting you guys, you know, letting your responses make it to the air as well, because many of you had some great comments. And so, uh, you know, it's, man, (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it, 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 it. after going through that, I just it, um, emotional high. It was definitely difficult. Feel like I got beat up a little bit, but that's okay. I don't mind taking shots and uh, you know and getting verbally beat up a little bit if it means that I can preach the gospel. And um, there were some things that I was definitely trying to accomplish in that program. So we'll we'll talk about that shortly. And then today I'm going to play for you a good sermon. And actually, I consider this to be a very timely sermon and it ties in very nicely with uh you know, with what we just heard from uh Shirley Phelps Roper and uh Westboro Baptists misguided theology on the problems that facing America and her wickedness and so I've got a I've got a sermon 
from the Reverend Jane Gann of uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in uh, Bowie, uh, Bowie uh, Maryland. And uh, he pr- recently preached a sermon. In fact, it was not this, pa- this Sunday, but the previous Sunday, entitled uh, Prophets Among Us. And he hits this topic of, of, of the wicked rebellion of America straight up. And he does it really in a way that's sober, grounded in scripture even a prophetic text ezekiel to of all things and and brings us back to christ i think this sermon is just i would consider to be just a the perfect counterpoint to what we were hearing from shirley phelps roper and from the westboro baptist folks and so you know again it probably won't be a three-hour edition of fighting for the faith although it depends on how much commenting i do on uh, uh, on the 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 Shirley Phelps interview. Okay, with that in mind, let's dive into our debrief. The debrief again. The goal here is to really kind of listen into what it is that you know uh, to the debate and chime in now uh, tactically, t- chime in theologically and biblically, and give you a little bit of an idea of what was going on behind the scenes. Now, I got to tell you, I, I was more than a bit nervous going into this interview. Prior to interviewing Shirley Phelps, I spent some time on the Internet, uh, YouTube, and really took a look and um, at other people who've tried debating Shirley Phelps. And from that, I was able to identify uh, areas where she had built up what I would consider strong defenses and programmed answers. And one of the things I've noticed, and, and Dr. Walter Martin talked about this uh, regarding cultists, is that um, cultists have pre-programmed answers to particular arguments. And so, you know, if it, with a Jehovah's Witness, if you want to spend time with a Jehovah's Witness discussing the deity of Christ, what will happen is, is that you'll get the same answer from JW to JW to JW because they have pre-programmed responses. Shirley Phelps Roper, in a very similar way, in fact, she's very cultish in her in the way she deals with things. And I saw this over the course of many of the of the interviews and debates that she's had, is that she's built up pat answers to particular things. And so I didn't want to go the same route as other people had with her and um and I wanted to go away that that really would have gotten her off script so to speak in order to again get to the gospel okay and so you know I had a list of of verses n- not to go and so I had to come up with alternative routes to get to similar places for instance if I were to pull out John 3:16 and say you know, it says that God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. They've got a pre-programmed answer for that passage, so I had to do something different. Now, going into it, I also, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, understand, the proper understanding of law and gospel really, really uh, creates a kind of freedom that you just don't have if you think that Christianity is a performance-based religion. You'll, if you remember, and you'll you'll hear it, is I had no problem confessing that I was a sinner. She had a rough time of it once I pulled the noose on her. So what I did early on in the in the interview, 
I made a cons- you know, basically I had set as a goal I wanted to get her to say that she was a sinner. I figured that she would admit that if I handled it right. You know, if it wasn't in the heat of a debate, she would have, she would say that she was. So early on, you'll notice before the debate really or the interview really got heated, um, and there's a real trigger point in there. We'll get to that before the uh, the conversation really got heated. When it was calm, she admitted that she was a sinner, and um, that's once she did that. And I clarified it by coming back to the Lord's Prayer and saying that we needed to pray and ask for uh, forgiveness from God on a uh, on a daily basis. You know, once once she admitted that, I had her, and so it was just a matter of when do I pull the trap? Because you, know, you can say in a sense I was setting a trap, but what was I setting a trap for? I was setting a trap for somebody who really is a legalist, somebody who doesn't understand law and gospel. And I've made the contention before that he, that Westboro Baptist, what we see with them is repentance without the forgiveness of sins. Now, I contrasted that to Jay Baker, and Jay Baker, and you know, on the le- lesbian gay uh, issue, he is uh, re- forgiveness of sins without repentance. And so there's there's two opposite ditches to avoid. One is legalism, and the other ditch is antinomianism. And uh, where Westboro Baptist falls on the spectrum is is that they have a malignant, a malignant and cancerous theology. Uh, it, it, it's a form of Calvinism, but it's really not a Calvinism at all. And I don't even think it really falls under the category of hyper-Calvinism. I don't think that's really fair. What we have there is a form or a shell of Calvinism that is masking legalism. Okay, And uh, we'll get, again, we'll kind of bear that out as the program progresses. But my goal was to get her to rightfully admit that she was a sinner and once I I had done that, the trap was set uh, for a legalist, and uh, that made it possible for me to then, at a later point in the discussion in the interview, to basically bring her back to the fact that she was a sinner, and that the quote solution that she was offering, uh, you know, just obey, didn't make any sense. And what what happened is is that once I sprung the trap, it was uh, she she went pretty much berserk <laughs> for the lack of a better way of putting it and she went she was trying very hard to fight her way out of that and going in every different direction and that was very convoluted uh, but again she'd already confessed that she was a sinner and so now i had her but what was the issue they're not preaching the forgiveness of sins there's no mercy there's no grace and it's so tragic. And I, the other thing I want to say up front is, is that uh, this, trying to find common ground with her, you know, that although that might have seemed like a tactic, it really, it was really something that I, I wanted to make a concerted effort to do. And here's the reason why: is because they, technically, this is a. a this is a woman who attends a, quote, Christian church. She's familiar with the Christian scriptures, and she's not 100% wrong. As repugnant and off-putting and just mean and spiteful as the tactics of uh, Westboro Baptists are, 
Underneath the hood, this is a woman who is a daughter of Eve. She is a daughter of Adam and Eve. She is our sister as far as the human race is concerned. And she's a twisted and fallen and sinful individual every bit as much as I am and you are. And so, you know, this is a woman who still, you know, she has children. Uh, she, you know, she bathes her children, feeds her children, prepares food, uh, listens to music, um, you know, has a favorite food, maybe even has a, a favorite music that she listens to or a way that she, and she suffers from the same stresses that we all do. And the, so in reality is, is that I, I don't view Shirley Phelps Roper as somebody that, um, is, a, is a demon. I see her instead as one who is entrapped and enslaved and blinded by the devil. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of, you know, I want to find a way to break through that and reach her with the love of Christ. And so treating her humanly, allowing her to speak, um, trying to build some common ground. I see that as nothing, nothing less than, or nothing more than really trying to find a way to bring Christ. Christ's love and mercy into the conversation and into the interview. And so, um, you know, that being said, uh, let's dive into the interview proper. And like I said, I'm going to interrupt it. We're going to listen to it again, and I'm going to interrupt it at key points so that uh, we can, uh, you know, so that I can interject and kind of, you know, we'll go from there. So I start off here with trying to build that common ground and again, I have I have nothing to fear from the common ground that I share with her. As you know, and so basically stepping out on you know onto the plank with her and saying, "Here's what we have in common," is a great way to open up dialogue and to really, in a sense, set the tone of the gospel and love. And so here we go. Here's my interview with Shirley Phelps Roper again. This is our debrief on it. All right, on the line I have uh, Shirley Phelps Roper from Westboro Baptist Church, and you guys are in Topeka, Kansas, right, Shirley? That's correct. Okay, and uh, this uh, Westboro Baptist Church, in fact, I seriously doubt there's anybody out there who hasn't heard of this church, but if you haven't, uh, they've been made famous uh, through the fact that they're at out there picketing at uh, funerals of servicemen and, and just about every star that's been dying lately, you guys have been out there picketing. And they've got some very provocative signs out there saying things like, God hates the world, God hates uh, fags, God, you know, th- they've got some very provocative messages. Okay, now st- I'm going to want to interject here. Notice here I'm not commenting on the signs and and how gross they are and how obscene they are. There's a reason why I, I, I basically explained what she was doing without commenting on, and that has to do with picking my battles. I knew that if I were to comment on those signs and say they're mean and hateful and spiteful, that I wouldn't get the opportunity to get to law and gospel with her. And this is something that even as misguided as it is, this is something that this is a woman who's put a lot of time, a lot of effort. There's personal sacrifice involved in this effort. And it's something for which she can say that she's proud of, you know, you know, that the, she views it as a vocation and as a way of, of this is a calling from God. And so I showed respect in a way to the effort that she's put in, 
but I really wanted to get behind what it is that was motivating the effort. That's why I didn't comment on the signs. I said they were provocative, but I didn't say, what's wrong with you, lady? You know, these are terrible. And so instead, you know, so I, I put that aside in order to get to the bigger issue. But before we get into the theological aspects of it, uh, Shirley, just in looking at your guys' website and reading your blog, it looks like you travel a lot. Yes, we do. We actually do travel a lot and more these days. And and there's nothing going to slow that down until um, this nation's, look, it's Isaiah 6. Uh We'll do this until the desolation is upon this nation. And that's coming shortly so we are hitting the road quick early and often now how often are you personally on the road i mean i've seen quite i just saw some pictures on Flickr, you know with you out there without with your signs and it it's got to take its toll i mean how many weeks are you traveling a year okay notice something here it just in the conversation that i'm having with her it shows that i've done my homework and taken some time to learn something about the human being and i'm interested in her and what she, it, it, her as a human okay and this is exactly the right way. Well, I'm making myself sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but it's a good way to uh, to show somebody tangibly that you care about them as a human being is to take an interest in what it is that they're doing. And what I do is because of, I have 11 children and uh, nine of them still live at home and my baby is seven. And so um, I work at... Now, prior to this interview, did any of you know that she had 11 children and nine of them were still at home? It kind of paints a different picture of her. We want to demonize people. But remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is a woman who has been blinded by a false theology, by a cancerous theology. But she's a mom. She's She's a wife. She has babies. She ta- she refers to them as babies. This puts a different spin on it. We're dealing with a human, not a demon. A misguided human who's blinded by a false theology. But she's also human for which Christ died. And she's a mom and she has babies. Takes on a different element. Where I travel... Uh, someplace distantly that might take a full day or two days mm-hmm. um, once a week. And then, like in the summer, I try to scoop up all these little ones and we hit the road and travel someplace where we can get out and back in a matter of so many hours. Got it. Um, once a week also. Okay. So uh, with, with, I, I used to have a job where I traveled quite a bit and it, you know, I hated it. You know, um, you, what do you do to unwind when you come back from, you know, from traveling so much? Again, common ground here uh, based on common experience. Well, I, I talk to my loved ones. I, you know, I swim. Uh, I do, I do things that help you to overcome that kind of fatigue. Right. You understand? Uh-huh. Uh huh. You, you got to stay physically fit. You got to have all your the parts of your day, uh, your personal habits have got to be temperate, and uh, you got to be in charge of yourself. And so, I do all those things, but also, look. 
I couldn't do this a, a couple years ago or three, four, five. This is an evolving process. And as you drill down in your mind and your heart and you search these scriptures and you realize what a glorious day we have embarked upon, that these are the last hours of the last days of all, um, this is not a big deal. I mean, I, uh, it's called zeal. Okay. Okay, do you hear her motivation for what she's doing? By the way, Westboro Baptist Church began their uh, these protests back in 2006. So, you know, here we are 2-3 years into this. And so this is this is still a fairly new thing in her life, although she's been doing it long enough that she's into a routine. But what's motivating it? Her it's what's motivating it is her understanding of scripture. And this is not a woman who is a slouch as far as biblical knowledge is concerned her inter- the, what the the interpretations she has of scripture off but you know you you heard what was coming from her mouth there was a lot of stuff that made a lot of biblical sense again it's not that she's 100% wrong it's that you got to find that part you know where it's off that's 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 causing this aberrant thing to come you know to come out and that's what i was really trying to get to Okay. And I, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know any other way to say that except that, uh, you know, that's the answer. Right. And it, I couldn't do anything but this. It's the very picture of Jeremiah, the way he put it was. Uh, you, you treated me so bad, he said at one point, that I had decided I'm not going to mention any more. And notice she likens, she, she finds a similarity in the story of Jeremiah, the prophets, and the apostle Paul. This is definitely, you know, there's a religious zeal here, you know, that, you know, she's in her mind making the self-sacrificial, doing this self-sacrificially, and she's looking to the prophets and to the apostles uh, for inspiration. Interesting. Anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to mention God anymore. But thy word was like a fire shut up in my bones, and I could not forbear. Paul said, a necessity is laid upon me. If I didn't do this, uh, you know, let me be accursed. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's a good transition point. I want to talk a little bit about what I consider to be some pretty strong common ground between us and and get your feedback on, on this common ground. First of all, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that we are, we're in the last days and uh, no idea if Christ is coming back tomorrow, but I'm, I, I sure I'm kind of hoping. But uh, in, in looking at uh, your message, you know, I want to talk about really where I think there's some good, strong common ground. Number one, I... Okay, by the way, in what does the message send when you take the time to educate yourself about what somebody is saying and what they believe to try to find that common ground? You're you're basically saying, "Hey, listen. You know, I find some value in what you're saying and there's some there's some and I've taken the time to study about what it is that you're saying, why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, and rather than just discounting her and getting in her face and saying, what's wrong with you, lady? Instead, the conversation begins by saying, "Okay, you know, I've got some common ground with you and let me share what that is. And it wasn't just, you know, you were both human beings. It, you know, it means that I've taken some time to look at their messages, listen to what they're saying, and uh, and want to and, and and want to solicit her feedback on, you know, on this common ground. Again, I'm coming to her 
not in the posture of I'm going to cut your head off. Hold still. This is really going to hurt um, to, you know, let me engage you in a, in a conversation. Let's talk. I believe that the United States is a completely wicked and rebellious nation when it comes to God's law. And yeah. some clear examples of that are, are you know, homosexuality and the battle for homosexual marriage, whereas God's word is so clear that not only is it a sin that, you know, the, the homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God and that homosexuality is an abomination before God. Um, also, common ground, abortion is murder. And the legalization of abor- abortion has led to the systematic murder murdering of 50 million children in the United States since 1973. And this is so terrible. It makes Hitler and Stalin look like amateurs when it comes to killing. And then uh, as far as divorce, Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says that God, God hates divorce. Okay, now... I put that one in there on purpose. And the reason why I did is because a lot of people get bent out of shape uh, because their message is God hates uh, this, God hates that, fill in the blank. They, they change it constantly depending on who they're protesting and where. Yet Malachi does say God hates divorce. And so there's some biblical precedent for their message in a way. Okay. Now, again, there's serious differences, but what have I done here is I, it's rather than saying, you know, what's wrong with you? This is the greatest country on earth. You know, your conclusions are bizarre or whatever. I'm trying to walk alongside of her and and at least show that I'm trying to understand where she's coming from. I'm trying to un, to relate with her and biblically there's no reason why I have to disagree with her regarding the fact that America as a nation is sinful and rebellious against God. It that's that is a true diagnosis. In fact, from the point of view of the law the the Westboro Baptist folks, these are experts in the law to a degree. Their diagnosis is correct. And we as Christians should have no shame in saying that their diagnosis is correct. Their um, therapy, their solution, not so much. Let's continue. Yes, I have my nice God hates divorce sign. <laughs> really, no kidding. I have a God hates divorce sign, and I took it with me when I picketed um, that football player. I'm so sorry. We picket. I've picketed so much lately. The guy's name is escaping me, but I think it's McNair. Like, McNair. Yes, Stephen McNair. Yeah. And so I and I had to make a special new sign for him called uh, God hates adultery <laughs> because you know he didn't he didn't even bother to divorce his wife before he took up with this. Susie. Yeah. So it, so in talking about our common ground, kind of summing it up, I believe that every single American is complicit in these egregious sins against God Almighty and has earned and deserve, uh, deserves God's wrath and punishment for these and sins. And they're getting it. And there's no reason why God couldn't and shouldn't wipe out the United States off the face of the earth because of her wickedness. Now, okay. Now, that sounds harsh, Okay. But understand something also. As a confessional Lutheran, okay, the when I go to church, I don't go to church to to be a performing monkey to please God. I know that sounds uh, kind of harsh, but that's not the reason I go to church. I go to church in order to receive from God His Word, His forgiveness, 
and his, the gifts that he has to offer me in, in, in word and sacrament. Okay. And in our church, the rhythm, it begins with God forgiving. And so on a Sunday after Sunday basis, when I attend church, I confess my sins corporately with my fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And what you heard me say is that, you know, is in a way, I've taken this confession of sins that uh, we pray, that we confess to begin our church services and applied it in a macro sense to the United States. Let me read to you. Um, you know, our, you know, what our confession of sin sounds like. We always begin our services by first invoking uh, the triune God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we all say amen. The pastor says, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. So then the, the pastor then says, let us confess our sins to God, and we say this, Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. So what I did there is I took took the sins of America as a nation and extrapolated out correctly, biblically, that the United States has earned God's just punishment. God, God has every right to judge and punish the United States because of her wickedness. It is not unpatriotic. It's biblically true. Now, when we come back from this first break, we're going to continue uh, basically de- you know, de- debriefing on my uh, Shirley Phelps uh, R- uh, Roper uh, interview. And uh, I just want to deconstruct it and take it apart and comment on it and interject biblically so that you can know what it is that I was trying to accomplish and theologically take a look at at uh, you know w- what we've learned and, and how to respond to it. Now, if you'd like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. Look me up. My name is Chris Roseboro. Or if you'd like to follow me on Twitter and get our subversive microblogging tweets, you can do so. My name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision and ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance and an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law, which condemns our sinful nature, and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the emergent church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the emergent heresy. The book is $12.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity. Our debrief from yesterday's interview. I think there's some benefit just 
slowing the tape down and you know, responding to some things you know, in real time and kind of picking apart what happened. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means your financial support is critical, vital, uh, absolutely necessary. You know, think of all of those things. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to uh, keeping us on the air, you, um, you are growing from this program and really benefiting from uh, what we do here at Fighting for the Face. Fa- fighting for the. <sighs> Tripping over my own tongue today. <laughs> if you are benefiting from this program, please uh, strongly consider financially supporting us. In fact, more than consider it, please do so. You can do so a couple of ways. You can visit our website fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons or you can make your gift check payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, we're going to dive back into our uh, review here of uh, Shirley Phelps Roper, my interview with her. And, uh, you know, again, I just left off where we were talking about uh, my conclusion on the common ground that I have with her. And um, you know, again, many times finding common ground with somebody, it, it just shows a a lot of respect and shows that you care about them as a person enough to study about who they are, what it is they believe. And finding common ground gives you an area from which you can then operate. And, and, and I'm absolutely convinced finding common ground is just a good way to demonstrate Christ's love to people, that you really do take them seriously. I'm not interested in cutting your head off. I really am interested in understanding who you are, and I, I disagree with you. But let's first take a look at where you know what do we have in common and work out from there. So uh, let's get back to the interview with uh, Shirley Phelps Roper. ...against God Almighty and has earned and deserve, uh, deserves God's wrath and punishment for these and sins. And they're getting it. And there's no reason why God couldn't and shouldn't wipe out the United States off the face of the earth because of her wickedness. He is going to, though. Don't you understand? That's what we're telling this nation. Okay. America is... Okay, you know, this is where things start to turn. She's absolutely certain that God is going to and that the fact that soldiers are dying... In Iraq is proof of God's wrath, and God is going. You know, it's a, it's a sure and certain thing. Now this is where, um, you know, we have to go. Well, wait a second. How do you know this? You know, and she would, if you look, go to the internet and really look up Shirley Phelps Roper at YouTube and take a look at the other debates that she's done. She explains this. And in fact, uh, way of the master radio. Uh, it's now Wretched Radio. Todd Friel interviewed her, and in his interview with her, uh, she gets into some of the prophetic reasons why – her interpretations of prophecy as to why she uh, thinks that. So if you want to know a little bit more in-depth from how is she so certain about this, it has to do with how she's interpreting the prophets. And so that's you, – you will find that if you look for uh, Todd Friel's interview on Way of the Master Radio – with uh, with Shirley Phelps Roper, that will help you to get how is she so certain that this is absolutely the case. But knowing that, again, rather than trying to debate her on that or push her farther on that, I had I knew where I wanted to go and I needed to get to law and gospel with her. And so uh, what did I do? I let it go, let her say her thing, and then keep moving along. It's doomed. 
assumed. Oh. And not just that, but the language is way plainer than that. All right. It is, it is that this land, the very land, and this is what you're going to see shortly, is going to vomit out the inhabitants. Says you do this for all of these things, this adultery, sodomy, incest, and bestiality. Mm-hmm. This nation is awash in it all. You've got that freaks called the furries. And... Somebody sent me an email on this furry thing. I had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, it, it's it's people who are into who really think that it's cool regarding anthropomorphic uh, renditions of animals, furries. It sounds cartoonish to me. I'm not. I haven't seen an example of a furry yet. But I mean, okay, uh, evil. I, I don't know. Don't doesn't sound like it. And on and on you could go. This nation has got it all going on. And the last piece, the fifth element of Leviticus 18, is you teach your children that God is a liar. You take them through some false religious system. And so it says, for these things, the land is going to vomit you out. And look at what this land is doing. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday, they have the big... Uh, news stories about the San Andreas Fault. All right, hang on a second here. I'm going to go to Leviticus 18. I, I think this would be educational because um, this this is kind of the the, law, the curses section. <sighs> okay, uncover your nakedness. Let's see here. Do not make yourselves unclean. Okay. All right, this is kind of a promises and curses section of Scripture, but it's basically a big, long list here in Leviticus 18. Uh, The Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not follow. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If you do them, you'll live. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives. Uh, for, yeah, okay, so we're talking about nakedness here. Um, you know, who you can and cannot have sex with is all here. Um, you shall not approach a woman during her, okay, yeah, uh-huh. Um, sh- don't offer your children to Molech. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all of these the nations I am driving out, you have become unclean. Uh, they ha- you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Okay, uh, but you shall keep my statutes and my rules. Now this this is an interesting. Again, listen carefully. This Leviticus eighteen talks about all the things you shall not do. And God was going to vomit out of the land all of the evil nations that were doing these things and replace them with Israel, who was supposed to live according to his statutes. You shall keep my statutes and my rules, and and none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest land vomit you out when you uh, make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were uh, practiced before you and never uh, make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Now, this God's law tells us 
what it is that God expects from us. It does also expose our sinful nature. It shows us what a shows us really it curbs evil in our society, shows us what our our sinful condition, and also shows us what a good work is. But this also tells us something of the mind of God and how He thinks and feels about um, our sinfulness and our rebellion against Him. God does not stand idly by. Um, these things do upset him and the land is made unclean. So these people are taking the law seriously. Again, the the Westboro Baptist folks seem to be obsessed with the law and they've got it down pat. Some of their interpretations are not kooky. Some of them are valid. We continue. and all the rumblings and the bubblings and how, uh, what's that place up in? No, no, it's what she's then doing is she's, she's look, she's reading her, uh, newspaper and, you know, Yellowstone and, and the fact that they're having small earthquakes in California on the San Andreas. You see, these are all signs that God's getting ready to vomit the United States out of the land. Yellowstone and on and on and on. Okay. It's coming. Spewing time cometh. All right. So here, my question for you, that it sounds like we have some pretty good strong, uh, common ground here, is in your view then, how can the United States avert further outpourings of the wrath of God? What does the United States need to do to avert uh, this this certain doom that's, uh, to, to, that you know, is going to befall her? Okay, now, the I'm not quibbling with her on Leviticus 18, not quibbling with her as to whether or not the, the, the currently the United States is poised and God is getting ready to immediately vomit the U.S. out of the land because of her sinful rebellion. Not, I'm not going to argue with her on that. That's me getting onto her turf, and the conversation would have degenerated. It does anyway, but it needed to degenerate at the right spot. Okay. Now, the, the, what was behind the question is I was thinking of Jonah and Nineveh. Okay. Here, God, you know, was getting ready to destroy Nineveh, and, and God sends Jonah. Uh, he was a little late getting there. Um, he 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 got diverted, if you would. He was heading somewhere else, and uh, <laughs> and uh, needed to uh, have a fish assist him in uh, in in turning him around and getting him pointed the right way. But what happens is is that God threatened uh, Nineveh, and they repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God was merciful, okay? So the reason I asked the question is I kind of had Nineveh in the back of my mind, but I also wanted, you know, what was I trying to accomplish here? Because of, of watching her on other interviews, I knew that her answer was going to be law-based, just obey, and that's where we needed to go. Through God's judgment and wrath. Okay, well, first of all, this is simply a theoretical answer because there is no stopping this. Okay. It's too late. It's too late. So, okay, too but late. if we could stop it, what, 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 what does the U.S. need to do to stop this? Well, since the conscience of the nation called the United States Supreme Court said that you must respect, we're certainly not going to have a crime to be engaged in sodomy, and you must respect these beasts that God calls brute beasts made to be taken and to be destroyed, the first thing you have to do is do something... Okay, watch the kind of first real rumblings. She considers homosexuals to be beasts. She's dehumanized them. 
Interesting, isn't it? And her theology, as you see later, Christ didn't even die for them. Well, at least the non-elect ones. So what's happened here is, is that this is kind of the first real signs of the, the something really wrong here. Okay? And the way she talks about somebody who's ensnared and enslaved in sin, which is what we all are by nature, is she's dehumanized those people, and they're not humans. They God doesn't love them. God hates them, and they're beasts. They're they they're no longer human beings. Which is exactly why we can't retaliate and do the same to her equally. In other words, this nation is going to have to put a law in place to criminalize sodomy, and they're going to have to uh, fix the death penalty for it. And the same with all these other outrageous... Okay, did you hear what... <laughs> it's not that we just need to outlaw homosexuality. It's it, uh, those who practice it must be put to death. Okay, where is she getting this from? Old Testament. Well, that was the capital capital punishment was the you know was the uh, sentence for uh, sodomy in the Old Testament. Okay, so she thinks that by you know if there was a solution, but there is no solution. This is what it needs to look like. It's all law based. We have to pass laws that then put homosexuals to death. Egregious murdering, um, you know. Don't make me head down that list. Your filthy manner of life, that's what you call it. The filthy manner of life of doomed America. They're going to have to do some very specific overt acts to put away their sin. Okay, so if the United States criminalizes sodomy, uh, overturns Roe v. Wade, are, are we heading in the right direction? Yeah, but, hun, you're saying if they do, that's never going to happen. God is not going to let them do it. He's chosen their delusions. Once they go so far, he says, now I will choose your delusions. These people are deluded, just like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson got his own personal delusion. They all do. His was that he's not a black man, but he's a white woman. Now he needs to spend all of his money and all of his time trying to make that be the reality. Okay. All right. That's what that is what you're facing. Look, honey. One of the prophets said it's like a drunk, like they're drunks. The leaders okay. are like drunks staggering in their own vomit. Okay. All right. What was my strategy at this point? Notice I let her go on, and I wasn't really challenging what she was saying, but I, you know, letting her speak. Um, prior to the interview, my wife gave me a great metaphor. She said. I think what you should consider doing is is keeping. It's like when you see those movies, and you you got a, a kidnapper who's calling, and the goal is to keep the person on the line long enough so that you can trace the call. That part of it, part of what I was doing here was really for the benefit of everyone else, trying to keep her on the line, let her say her thing, so that you you know so that you can trace the call, so that you can trace her the, theology, and I, that was what part of what was at play here. Uh, we continue. Let's see, now, again, well, hold on. Before we continue, what do you see here? She's liking, a, she's applying the Mosaic Law to the United States in such a way that we, in order to uh, not get spewed out of the land, we have to be, we have to adopt the same laws as Israel did. 
uh, okay, I I get it. In 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 and so, on some level, actually on several levels, she's right and she's wrong. But we continue. Now, do you think the United States is any more wicked than uh, first, second century uh, Roman Empire? Uh, I think that they're probably not necessarily more. Well, I don't know. Okay, why did I ask that question? I I never was able to get to the the follow up on that one. The reason I asked that question is because uh, remember the Roman Empire. Okay, this was uh, slavery. Uh, sodomy, you know, incest. I mean, the, the the Romans were as perverse as perverse gets. Okay, gluttony. I mean, orgies. The whole. If you know Roman history, the, these guys were not any moral people. Okay, but what happened? Christianity conquered the Rome. The uh, Rome. How did it do it? Through the preaching of the gospel. So I wasn't able to make that follow up point, but that's why I asked the question because. I don't know how long it's going to be before Christ returns. I mean, he could be here tomorrow. He could be here a thousand years from now. I just don't know. Okay? If God wanted me to know, uh, then he would tell me. But Christ himself said the Father knows, not even the Son. So, you know, me speculating on this, it just is going to get nowhere. So I I look at it from the point of view of, of Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay, so America has slipped into rank rebellion against God and his laws and is continuing to morally decline, okay? And it's getting worse and worse by the day. The solution from the point of view of the Christian church is preach and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Christianity overthrew the Roman Empire through the preaching of the gospel— Christianity can surely overthrow wicked America, if you would, in in the sense, uh, by preaching the gospel. But it's not about establishing a Christian nation. It's about Christ changing people's lives through the proclamation of the gospel, by giving people faith, giving them repentance, and and and, and their lives bearing fruit as a in keeping with repentance that only comes about through changed lives and the changed kind of lives that god gives through the preaching of the gospel that's where i was going with it but never was able to make the follow-up question because you know things start to get a little crazy here but we continue i don't know they're filthy i don't know this nation can't find enough ways to engage in filthy, vile conduct. I don't know if they're more wicked. But what's the point of the question? Now, notice something here. She's talking about them, but somehow she's not part of them. What about her sin? And it changes nothing. Okay. This nation has for for 19 years had the prophets of God every single day Mm -hmm. on their streets warning them, if you go the way of Sodom, you're going to suffer her fate. They didn't heed and they didn't listen. Well, I I completely agree that the law demands that you obey or uh, or else. You know, there's curses yeah. associated with those who don't obey God's law. But uh-huh. now, but see, now you're a member of Westboro Baptist Church. Now, uh-huh. now in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus tells the church to go into all nations and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Now, I've seen all of your signs. My question for you is, when does Westboro Baptist proclaim the forgiveness 
of sins in Jesus' name to the United States and, uh, you know, uh, the other nations that you guys are taking on? Uh, well, first, first of all, we have... A- okay, now notice, that kind of threw her. <laughs> you can hear the wheels spinning in her head. Wouldn't we proclaim the, uh, the, forgive, the forgiveness of what? Of our signs that say repent or perish. Okay, now, <laughs> right... <laughs> I am sorry for laughing. <clears throat> she says that we have our signs that say repent or perish. Notice repent or perish doesn't proclaim the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't announce that God is offering a full and complete pardon and as a result of Christ. So that's the closest thing she can come to, you know, in the signs that she has that, quote, announces the gospel. There's no good news that, that they've been offering. We continue. Okay. I mean, what? What do you, I don't understand what you're saying. Right. That's exactly why I wanted to take you down that road. That's the... Okay. <laughs> she doesn't understand what I'm saying. That is telling. Okay. What does that tell you? They specialize in the law, but they don't understand mercy. They don't understand the good news. We evangelism is the evangel, the good news. We're to go out and good news the world. They're out there bad newsing the world, and they should be good newsing. All right, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we're going to continue with our uh, Westboro Baptist interview debrief, um, you know, kind of taking it apart, you know, slowing it down and interjecting here. If you would like to email me, Regarding anything you've heard on today's program, you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. My name there on Twitter is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law, which condemns our sinful nature, and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the emergent church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the emergent heresy. The book is $12.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity. All right, hour number two, Fighting for the Faith. We are working our way through uh, the Westboro Baptist uh, Shirley Phelps Roper interview, kind of debriefing on it, 
taking our time, commenting along the way, what was in my mind, what did we see in here, and you know, I might miss some things. See, if I do, uh, please email. We, we're going to be getting to your emails, not today, but in the next few days. And uh, many of you have sent some good insights. And uh, so if you've noticed something that I'm not catching, would love to hear your feedback. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> where, where we left off is, uh, is uh, Shirley Phelps. Is, uh, I asked her about you know, basically Luke 24, that we are to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and asked, when does Westboro Baptist proclaim the forgiveness of sins? And uh, this is where I've caught, completely caught her off guard. She's the what? Again, my contention going into this and my theory that I was working from is that this was an all law, no gospel uh, type of uh, church. They're preaching God's wrath, but not Christ's forgiveness. We're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Christianity, uh, we've got a twin message that seems paradoxical. We do announce God's wrath against sin. We do tell people uh, that they that God will punish eternally. Uh, sinful, rebellious human beings. Uh, but it doesn't end there. It's If you think about it this way, repentance, it, 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 the Greek word there is metanoia, to change your mind or to turn, okay? So what are you going to turn to, though? The, 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 the thing we turn to is the forgiveness of sins. Rather than God's wrath, we turn to the mercy of God. Rather than earning our salvation, we we turn to the gift. So if if salvation is a gift, then Christians are gift givers in a way. We're there announcing and proclaiming the gift. It's Christmas. I know it's offensive. You know she's she's there announcing the wrath, but there's no gift. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no good news. Ooh, so let me back it up just a little bit. And you can hear her confusion with uh, me asking the question. Uh, well, first, first of all, we have our signs that say "repent" or "perish." Okay. I mean, what? What? Do you, I don't understand what you're saying. Well, that you have to. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Okay. Now that that's listen. This is where her theology is skewed. There's no forgiveness without repentance, but forgiveness and repentance and faith those are all gifts from God. And Christ himself, and what we've been seeing in the, in the book of Acts as we've been working our way through it, is that, that Christians proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's not, we don't wait for people to repent before we announce that they're forgiven. We announce the forgiveness of sins and let God do what God does. Okay. I don't understand. How can we, what more can we say to a nation than put away your idols? Put away your false gods and put away your filthy manner of life and obey. There's no forgiveness without repentance. Okay, put away your false idols. So how is she defining repentance here? Stop sinning. You see, put away your filthy idols and just obey. That's repentance. And then then God will forgive you. You see, she doesn't understand it. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a turning to something else. What are we turning to? The forgiveness of sins, the grace and mercy of God. Right. What more shall we add to this message? Well, do you ever overtly discuss the uh, the free forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ? 
See, it's not free. See, oh, wow. Gospelless, Christless in a way. It's all law. We don't see, there's no repentance on the landscape. You want us to tell some people that aren't repentant well, okay. that the love of God is for them? Okay, well, let me try it this way. Um, okay. when, when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, was hanging naked and bleeding on the cross for our sins, was he dying for the sins of... Wait a minute, for our sins? Well, I, I, it, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what for? For our sins? No, she's not. Uh, she's taking issue with the gospel here. You're not trying to say that all this nation of rebels that Christ died for their sins? Well, okay, now this is, okay, this is where the Lutheran response is, we we go back to the passage that says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lutheran, and I think this is the biblical answer, is that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, everybody, Okay. I think the the clear passages bear that out. What does that mean? We're going we're announcing this good news. However, this is appropriated if you would by faith and God is the one who gives faith. And so there's this crux theologorum that goes on here. That's this this unsolvable uh mystery. We don't, it can't answer it, okay? And uh, there are some in the Calvinist camp who have tried to answer this question, and I don't think that they've come up with the right answer. I don't think that the, I don't think it's answerable. But the question is, when you preach the gospel, why is it that some resist and some respond in repentance and faith? Answer: I don't know. I think that's the right answer. That the Bible doesn't say; it doesn't give us an answer. Uh, to one end of the Calvinist camp, the you know the Calvinists, the solution is is that uh, God elected some for salvation, and um, Christ died for the elect. And so, if you're of the elect, and Christ died for you, then you will respond with repentance and faith. And the rest of you, uh, no, um, I don't think that's the right biblical interpretation. I, I, I there's that's seriously flawed. Okay, but that's it, so she's malignantly bought into this. Uh, okay, so I want to point something out here. Is this the logical conclusion of Calvinism? That's the, one of the questions that was asked uh, on uh, my Facebook uh, wall. Is this the logical uh, conclusion of Calvinism? I'm not sure that that's really the logical conclusion of Calvinism. And the reason I'm, I'm not sure that is, is because really what this woman is, is a legalist, she's a Pharisee. She is a Pharisee cloaked in some kind of Calvinist garb, but it's not true Calvinism. It, at least the, not, not the Calvinism I'm familiar with and of the friends that I have. So, you know, I know some of you are going to want to chime in on this point, and it's okay. Please do. Send me an email on it. But uh, I don't think this is the logical conclusion of Calvinism. I think that ultimately what we're dealing with here is somebody who is a legalist, who doesn't who doesn't understand uh, true monergism and true grace? And so, what she, what in her way of thinking, you don't offer the forgiveness of sins to anybody who's not of the elect, and they have to prove they're of the elect first by repenting and obeying, and then you can tell them about the forgiveness of sins. At least that's how I'm hearing it. I could be wrong. 
Oh, 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 well, I don't want to get into a limited atonement Calvinistic kind of thing. Well, let's just, we'll just go. How about just uh, the, what the Bible says kind of a thing? Okay, who do you think Christ died for? He, he died for all of the sins of his elect. Okay, so the, so the, he died for the sins of his elect. That, that would mean that anybody who is elect of God, um, did Christ die for the sins of those who were elect who committed sins of homosexuality? He died for all of the sins of his elect. Okay, I will take that as a yes, okay, and that's an important question. Okay. Now listen to this. Acts 13 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, that is, these words, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and here's the important language. Acts 13, hang on. As many as were ordained to eternal life. Uh Uh-huh. Believed. Absolutely. Only those. Okay, now, funny enough, her translation there is pretty good. Let me uh, pull that text up, and I want to read it for you. Acts chapter 13. It's very interesting. The Greek word tasso there, uh, what it does. Let me me get there. Acts chapter 13. Okay. Um, All right, so we have uh, Paul preaching. Um. Let me re- we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, no more to return to a corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give to uh, you the Holy One, holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, uh, you will not, not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Uh, but he whom God uh, raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known, therefore, brothers, that though this man, uh, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, I want to point something out to you here. If this woman really understood her New Testament, and she really doesn't, she you know, okay. The very passage she's quoting here, it, it, Paul preaching. Okay, there are some who are going to respond in repentance and faith, and some who are not. But right here in verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through Jesus, uh, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Paul is what is he? He's proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything uh, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in you in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. And as they went out, the people begged that these uh, things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, and they were reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you, since you thrust it aside uh, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So what happens? Paul announces the forgiveness of sins to these people. Which is why later in my interview, I asked the question, do you know, can you tell who the elect are? Do they have a tattoo? The reason why is because let's, even if I were to, if I were to say, listen, I agreed with, I agree with your uh, understanding of the atonement that it was only for the elect. 
when it comes to evangelism, it doesn't change the necessity to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins because we don't know who the elect are. And so if we were to follow the example here given in Acts 13, the Apostle Paul, is he doesn't know who the elect are. But what does he announce to them? He announces the forgiveness of sins and being freed from the law. To every one of them. He doesn't say repent and then I'll tell you about the forgiveness of sins. He announces and proclaims the forgiveness of sins to all of them. Okay? And some rejected. The Jews rejected. Okay? So uh, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of the Lord be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, we Lutherans talk about the fact that God's gifts are rejectable. Okay? They rejected it. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began uh, rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed, or ordained, as she said, uh, as many and as many as were appointed to her eternal life believed. Now, the the Greek word tasso there, uh, the, the, it's the one where they were appointed. Appointed. The Greek word is tasso. And it, it's like a militaristic term. It's a military term. And the picture there is of a, of a commanding officer uh, ordering his troops to get in line. Another way you, can, you could translate the, the, would be as many as were ranged, as many as were ordered, uh, uh, as many as were ordered to eternal life, those believed. Okay? So what happened is, is that that Greek word there is interesting in the sense that it's basically, it points out a couple of things. Number one, the order went out from Paul and Barnabas to all of the hearers. The order went out to all of them. Repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Um, and, uh, And the ones who responded in faith, those were the ones literally appointed by God, and the others were re- they were rejecting they were rejecting the gift so monergism not synergism is is truly at work but when you look at it in the greek it's it's a very interesting way of 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 looking at it but again you know the tasso there you know it's a military term calling people you know to kind of stand in line uh you know military 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 <clears throat> military term there to draw up in a rank and file so Anyway, orderly arrangements. So, you know, the call went out to all of them, and uh, some rejected, didn't consider themselves worthy of eternal life, as Paul said. Others responded in repentance and faith, and it was God who ordained them and ordered them. All right, uh, moving along here, uh, we continue. Uh Only those. Uh Only those. Right. They didn't choose God. They didn't pray the sinner. Yeah, the Lord for... Jesus Christ said, "You didn't choose me. I chose you." Amen. They didn't. They they didn't pray a sinner's prayer and make a decision to become a Christ follower. That's right, because they can't. Right. You're it's... dead in trespasses and sins, and if God does not call you, quicken you uh-huh. to repentance, all right, which is a gift from God. If He doesn't do that, mm-hmm. you're going to. Hey, she just said repentance is a gift from God. Did you hear that? 
Yeah, funny, going back and listening to this carefully, I, I, I missed that point. No, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, so when Christ tells the church to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and you see this in Acts, you know, for instance, you know, the Apostle Peter on, on the day of Pentecost, you know, he, he tell, points his bony finger at the crowd and says that they're the ones who, who crucified the Lord, and they were cut to the quick by the Holy Spirit, yes. and they said, what shall we do? And he says, repent every one of you and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, the reason I brought this up was to point out the fact that the apostles were the ones announcing the forgiveness of sins. They're not announcing the forgiveness of sins. All they are announcing is God's hate and wrath against sins and sinners. But they're not giving anybody the forgiveness of sins. And when I called her on the Luke 24 passage and backed it up with Acts, again, she's she's we're in territory she's not used to being in. There's this twin message of repent and the offering of God's grace and mercy to... No, it's not an offering. Yeah, she takes issue with the most interesting things here. It's it's not an offering? He's telling them. No, heck no, it's not an offering. And Peter, what you're talking about there, that's so interesting that you brought that example up because at Acts 7, because that's at Acts 5, what you're talking about. Then you get over to Acts... I mean, Acts... Actually, it was Acts 2, but... Acts 4. Right. If you get over to Acts 7, Stephen gives them the same exact message and tells them, you killed Christ. Right. You killed Christ. Just like Peter did. It's so awesome. You juxtapose those two things. And in both places, the Holy Spirit chose the language of... Notice, she's being gracious at this point here. We're actually engaging in a conversation. She's adding to it. I'm interacting. And she's interacting with what I'm saying. She hasn't shut me down and she's not shouting me down yet. It cut them to the heart. Right. And in the first place, in the first example, because God, they're both works of God. In the first example, those people that were cut to the heart repented. In the second example, those people that were cut to the heart got enraged and they ran on Stephen, and they chewed on him for God's sake, and they stoned him to death. Right. They murdered. They murdered Stephen. I agree. And so you got to wrap your mind and settle it deep inside your soul. I feel like that's you got to wrap your mind and settle it deep inside your soul. I feel like I'm probably hearing her father, Fred Phelps, speaking. This sounds like something she's heard many times from him. You do not own salvation. I do not own salvation. If the Lord God did not fix his love upon you from eternity past, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not die for your sins on that cross, you will never repent and you will never, ever have saving faith. All right. Now, notice, again, what was I trying to point out to her? Notice she's deflecting at this point. This is really the first real deflection on her part is I pointed out to her clearly from God's word that you have the apostles preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and they were obeying Christ, who told his church to go out and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They're only preaching law. They're not preaching gospel. And they're withholding the gospel because, for whatever reason, something in their theology has got the gospel locked up to where you have to repent and obey before you're going to hear about the forgiveness of sins. That that's the problem. All right, let me ask you this. Are you a sinner? Okay, now the the conversation was still nice at this point. 
course I'm a sinner. You know that I couldn't possibly answer that question any other way without just being a liar, which is a sin. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Keep in mind, she just admitted she was a sinner. Now, I followed that up with a question coming back from the Lord's Prayer, and I had to stay firm on the topic because she tried to deflect a little bit. But, uh, you know, stay firm on the topic. The point of the next one was to get her to talk about the fact that she needed to pray for God's forgiveness on a daily basis. We continue. Right. So then you, you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. Yeah, that, look, that, looky here. Don't, don't use that terminology with me, hon. That is not the Lord Jesus. <laughs> It's like walking through a minefield. It, you know, you just don't know what's going to blow up next. I mean, she's taking f- umbrage with the fact that I called it the Lord's Prayer. Hi, yi yi. You know, you're trying to get your job done, and there's mines set up. And you don't know where they are, and I have no way of sweeping out all of them. And if I had known, if I had seen in a previous uh, conversation where she took issue with the fact that somebody called the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer, I would have avoid, tried to avoid that landmine, but boom, there it went off. Okay. But what did I do? Took the explosion, took the punch, and then persisted on to make my point. Jesus Christ said, don't pray rotely. Don't call that the Lord's Prayer. Don't do that, the sinner's prayer. Those are just terms of a nation of rebels. They've made the term Christian seem nasty to say because you can call yourself anything and you can use terms. Why don't you just talk about prayer? The Lord Jesus Christ told us how we should pray, and he specifically said, don't do it rotely. Okay. So every time so- Although I'm not familiar with where he said don't do it rotely, but I didn't want to challenge it. I've got to stay on topic here. My task at hand was I got her to admit she was a sinner and uh, and now to get to the point where Christ says, forgive us our trespasses and praying it on a daily basis. Someone starts talking about our father, which art in heaven, blah, blah, blah. You don't have an ounce of sincerity, so just don't say the word. OK, so when, Furthermore, when the disciples when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray, yes. say this. Okay. Part of the prayer included petitioning God and saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive That's those. Right. And, That's and, right. and, and, and the implication really in the prayer is, is that asking God for the forgiveness of sins is a daily thing, not something you once did when you made a decision for Christ, if you could even do such a thing. But and it, it better be a daily thing. Okay. okay. <laughs> she not only agreed with me, she said it better be a daily thing. Okay. And by, the, by the very fact that you have an interest and a knowledge that you're saying, you understand, I'm standing on a street, which, which we... Okay, now, <laughs> she agreed with me wholeheartedly. She was a sinner, and that she, you better be praying every day for God's forgiveness. Okay? She's, at this point, I have her. Okay? Because what's the problem? All law, no gospel. The, when that's the problem, what's the solution? You take the person who is all law and no gospel. I hate to say this, but the solution is is to turn the law back on them. She keeps talking about all of those wicked people, all of those terrible people, right? And the fact that they don't obey. She's just admitted she's a sinner and that she needs to pray for God's forgiveness on a daily basis. This cannot be undone at this point, even though she will try. 
we do every day outside of Chicago in a fancy suburb. And we're holding our signs, and here comes a woman and her daughter, two, about 35-ish and about, you know, 18-ish, maybe 37, 38, somewhere in there. And they're standing behind me, and they're contending vigorously, the woman especially, the mother, with our guys that are behind me. And all of a sudden, I hear her saying, what? Screaming at the top of her lungs. What about forgiveness? So I just looked over my shoulder, and I said, there is no forgiveness without repentance. Ouch. You see, they've got the forgiveness of sins locked up. When when you repent and obey, then we'll talk about forgiveness. All law, no real good news at all. That explains the problem. What do you do when in a situation like that? You take the law and you crank it up. That woman made a beeline, went right out into that eight lanes of busy traffic so she could get in my face, because I was standing on the curb, and scream at the top of her lungs. Get the cartoon image of the hair flying out behind you because of this screaming woman. She's screaming, I have nothing to repent for. Wow. That is what this nation thinks. This is an arrogant nation of disobedient rebels, and they think it's all about them, and they think they're all good all the time, and what they've done. Okay, now, one of the things I've noticed, okay, about legalists is they have a tendency to project onto other people their own sins and the things that they're guilty of. I think she gave an apt description of herself there. We continue. Unknowingly, ignorantly done, is brought this nation to, to her knees. The Antichrist is sitting in the White House. And very shortly, this nation's destruction is coming. Uh, uh, and when Obama gets his global power grab on and sits on his I'm king of the throne, uh, king of the world throne, and these events that are laid out in Scripture about these last hours of the last days and the pouring out and the final indignation upon Jerusalem and the pouring out of the spirit of grace and supplication upon the house of Jacob all start to drop into place like pegs in the pegboard. Okay. It's going to be Grim City. All right. Let me. Let... <laughs> okay. So what we what do we have with Westboro? We have a very tight legalistic system that claims to be monergistic that won't offer the forgiveness of sins unless you obey, which is legalism, mixed with uh, an absolute convinced that uh, we are now in the last of the last of the last days and they've pinned the tail on the Antichrist and it's come up on Obama. Oh, boy. So that's really the cocktail that we're dealing with theologically. Let me come back. Let me come back to you for a second. You, you. Now, what did I do? I took it off of Obama. Took it off of the nation. And I'm going to come back now. And I've got to get back to her, the sinner, her, the woman who doesn't obey. Why do I say that? Because she sins. Every sin is an act of disobedience against God. By definition. Okay? So she's out there telling all these people they need to obey, but I've got her to confess that she's a sinner 
and that she needs to pray for God's forgiveness daily. Admitted, you know, and by the way, I'm a sinner too. You've, you've admitted to being a sinner, and and it sounds like you sin pretty regularly. Why do I say that? Because she admitted she needed to pray the Lord's for the Lord's forgiveness daily. Now, the thing about legalists, okay, they don't really know what to do with their sin, okay, and it causes them to be hypocritical, right? I'm managing it just fine. I'm sinning less and less every day. I don't really, you know, sin all that much. I don't know about what's wrong with you, but I'm better than you because I don't sin as So what happens is is that rather than doing the thing that we're called to do, confess our sins, confess that we are sinners in need of a savior. You want to take the power out of sin? Confess it. This is why private absolution is such a powerful thing. And I know that the sinner go, what? You believe in private? What? I know it's, it's an ancient, ancient, ancient practice. And stop thinking that just because the Roman Catholic Church twists it, that that's what I'm talking about. It's not about going and meeting with a priest. And the only way you can get your sins forgiven is if your priest forgives you. And then when you're done at praying, you know, saying your confession, you go and do five Hail Marys and, and, then, you know, and then you've done your penance and then, you, and then you're, you're good with God again. It's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Private absolution is where you go and you privately meet with a pastor who understands what the job here is. And yes, you confess your sins. If you have a, a sin that has got a power over you that you are, are entrapped by and enslaved to and struggling with and can't, it just is not, it's just not working, okay? And hypocrisy is just, it ain't working either. You want to be set free from that sin? Go and meet with a confessional Lutheran pastor. Sit down with him and confess your sins. Don't hold anything back. Don't be ashamed. You're sitting there with a sinner as well. But the most important thing is not the confession. But when you get to hear personally, to you by name, that Christ forgives you of those sins... Those sins have no more power over you. They have no power to accuse you. What, how, what does Westboro do with their sins? Well, unfortunately, the thing that they're doing is they're shoving them down and cramming them down, putting lipstick on it and, and trying to make it, you know, make it appear like they've got everything under control. And they don't. So hypocrites... Don't like it when you unmask them. By the way, look up hypocrite. You'll understand what the mask thing is about. Because hypocrites are ones who put on a mask to make make themselves look one way when they're not. What do I know about Shirley Phelps Roper? One thing I can say for sure. I've never met the woman, but I've had a conversation with her. She is a sinner. Every bit as much as I am a sinner. Daily, she she does not love God with all of her heart, and daily she does not love her neighbor as herself. And the problem with hypocrites, the problem with legalists, is that when you unmask them, uh, they don't consider that to be a favor, and they get really nasty at times uh, when you do that. But here, I'm going to, at this point, take the mask off. She's out there telling all the world that they just need to obey 
But when you take the mask off, what do we find out about Shirley Phelps Roper? She doesn't obey. So who is she to tell the world they have to obey? <laughs> it sounds like I said that. Exactly. Where did you come up with that? I, I'm trying to be nice. I'm springing the trap here, and she. this is where everything starts to un, come undone. How did it sound like that? How did it sound like that to you? Well, because you agreed that when you pray, you know, the way the Lord taught us to pray, that you ask for God's forgiveness on a daily basis. Do you sin daily? Notice she won't answer the question. The answer, the the correct and honest answer is yes. And I'm not pointing a finger at her and saying I'm better than her. I'm more moral than she is. I've got it together. What am I trying to get her to do? Repent. Um, are you going somewhere with this? Absolutely. I promise I am. But it's a okay, fair well, question. Let's, let's just go straight to where you're going. Okay. What is it that you're trying to get to? Well, you sin daily, right? Uh, what is it that you're... She won't answer the question. The answer is yes. ...trying to get to. Real simple. I mean, you're, you're basically saying that uh, America can avoid the wrath of God if she would criminalize sodomy and just basically obey is what it comes down to, you know. Yeah, God... that's very good. Okay. She agreed with me. She, I, I absolutely correctly characterize her solution. Just obey. But if you sin daily, then you you don't obey God yourself. How do you know God doesn't hate you? Oh, man. You just... The question is there, and she's not going to hit it straight up. She's going to dodge it. Well, in the first place, do you think that the truth of God and any of these things that we're discussing hinge... Upon me? Uh, the, the issue is not you. The issue is, is that you are telling people to obey when you don't obey. Your solution is wrong. That's what I'm trying to get to. Absolutely not. Okay, well, good. Now, so let's move on and let's get to what is it. That- oh, no, no, no. I'm not, <laughs> she wants to move on. She wants to get away from that topic. Why does she want to get away from it? Because that one is a hand grenade that just blew up right next to her. <laughs> that you want to talk about. Well, it, com- it comes back to this. The thing is, is that you're telling no, people... it doesn't come back to it, me. It, it does. It comes in a sense... It's not about me. In a real sense... I was anywhere in the neighborhood. Well, actually... Do you think God consulted me well, in the council halls of eternity? Absolutely not. I had a hand in the preparation of all these things? Of or course not. do you not. think that I, like the next guy, find these words and have either... You either make a decision. Are you going... To be obedient. Okay, did you hear that? Okay, you either make a decision, you are going to be obedient. This is the problem, the inconsistency in her theology. What is she? I think she is a legalistic Pharisee wrapped up in some kind of a Calvinistic system. Okay? But she's not... Here she's... She says you can't make a decision, and yet her solution is you just need to make a decision to obey. Ah, that's the problem. You see it? Or are you going to presumptuously sin and justify yourself? 
But see, the thing is, is that you're a sinner and you don't obey God every day. No, the thing is. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just, oh, wow. Is that you are trying to deflect and distract from these principles of the scriptures. (laughs) Oh. I'm not going to talk to you about what I do in a day. When I'm standing. Then the reason why is because it's clear she is a sinner. If you think that I've I've got something going on that I ought not do, you feel free to tell me, and you'd better. And that's okay. I got to pause it. That's exactly what I was doing. If you have a problem with something I'm doing, you got you better tell me. I'm telling her. You, I'm telling her. You're not preaching the gospel. You'd better because that is what constitutes, according to the standards of God, loving your neighbor. Okay. Then according to what her what she just said what i'm doing is loving her and that's exactly what i'm trying to do i don't want shirley phelps roper or anybody to go to hell to not hear of the forgiveness of sins you warn your neighbor that his sin has taken him to hell and if you don't do that, the scripture says, you hate your neighbor in your heart. Now, what is it that you want? But it's, see, <laughs> notice she's at this, this uh, up, to the, <laughs> up to the springing of the trap, uh, the conversation was going very well. We're 21 minutes into the, the, the dialogue here, okay? And now she's mad because... I'm pointing out her own sin and that the solution that she's calling for, she doesn't even obey the things that God has commanded. Upsetting her apple cart. And listen, by the way, folks, sometimes when you share the truth with somebody or you challenge them or you rattle their cage like this, uh, the, the, uh, the reward that you're going to get is um, being punched in the face. And yet the work must be done. It's occupational hazard of being a Christian. It's more than just naked obedience. You said that God... No, it's not more than... It's pretty doggone simple. See, what? That's the, that is just the strategy of a rebel. No, no. <laughs> now she's resorting to name-calling. <laughs> that's just the strategy of a rebel. It's real simple. Just obey. No, it's if, if obeying was really simple, then she would be obeying. That's really where I'm trying to go with this. Let's make this so complicated that we can all toss around words and justify ourselves. Sure. Off topic, smoke screen. She's at this point throwing everything at me, including the kitchen sink, I think. There's no justification. Surely, surely. It's simple here. I mean, you're telling people they need to obey and you yourself don't. You don't have... What do you mean I don't? (laughs) Oh, man. It's fun going through this. What do you mean I don't? She's a sinner. She knows she don't. If you commit sins, you are not obeying. Wait, how did you jump over this Grand Canyon? No, this well, is me not... saying that you have to obey to that I don't obey. You're telling people that they simply need to obey God, but the reality is... is Where that... did you get to your, your leaping over to that I don't obey? You are a sinner. And you, you ask for God's forgiveness. 
That means you fall so short. Let me see if I got this right. Do you do you have a- now? Remember, in in the earlier happy times in this uh, conversation, she admitted she was a sinner and that you better be praying for God's forgiveness every day. And now, she's wishing she could take that back. Even a, a inkling of what the scripture that's talking about imputed sin do you know changing the subject obfuscation here you know what imputed sin is? oh absolutely adam's sin is counted against me as if i'm the one who committed All right. uh-huh so, so you think you're going to get off the hook from asking god to forgive you for that and for every other thing that you do ignorantly or deliberately hey, listen if i it, hey yes or no i'm guilty i'm the i'm the chief of sinners now notice i'm not pointing a bony finger at her and telling her to try harder and clean up her act and that she's a wicked rebel who needs to just obey. I'm coming to her her as a fellow sinner. We've established the fact that she's a sinner, and I'm coming to her as a fellow sinner, not offering her a moral solution, but offering her the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of sins. But she's not, she's really, in a real sense, harden herself against the gospel in such a way that it it's contingent upon you uh, oh, repenting and her definition of repenting is obeying you see we got a problem and paul okay. is wrong now. i'm the chief of sinners and i sin today yeah hon, and you seem mighty proud of it but <laughs> never mind that <laughs> never mind that Let's get back to what it is that you're trying to avoid with all of this. It Actually, she's trying to avoid the gospel. That's the thing. Look at the monkey conversation. The what? What is with the monkey? This whole thing where you're trying to drill this down to pretend it has something to do with me. Here's what it is. It, it actually, it's if not you. Are, it's the solution you're offering. Have, if you have savings, I'm not offering you squat. If <laughs> now she's she's really on fire here at this point. <sighs> if you have saving saving faith, it is what James said. You say that you have faith. Right. Watch how she defines a good work. But you have no works. Uh-huh. You talk to me about your faith. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You talk to your faith. If you don't have works, the works that demonstrate that you have saving faith, uh-huh. that is the conduct that you engage in. Right. Because you're not going to save yourself. How is she defining that, though? That's the question. Watch how she's defining by your work. it. Right. But if you engage in conduct that demonstrates that you have saving faith, in other words, you warn your fellow man to flee the wrath to come or do any other thing. Flee to what? The mercy of God. That's the thing she won't offer. Flee to what? Obedience? We have to flee to Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And from that flows the fruit of repentance. Thing that's obedient. Uh-huh. You said yourself that the Lord Jesus Christ said to get out there and warn every creature... I completely agree with you. I, I disagree on the solution you're offering. The solution? I already told you at the beginning of this. There is no solution. 
It's every man for himself at this point. That's frightening. Every man for himself. Good luck. <laughs> you, you Americans out there, good luck. It's uh, Hope you make it. Every man for himself. No good news in that. He's, he's, if you have an interest in your own never-dying soul, you had better see to it that you get busy preparing to meet your God. So we got to get busy. Yeah. Get busy. All right, I'm going to get busy preparing to meet my God. You know how I'm going to get busy doing it? Hearing the good news of the gospel, the mercy and the forgiveness of sins won by Christ, and understand that by faith I'm clothed in his righteousness. So getting busy means doing nothing but believing. Which means this. David put it this way in Psalm 27.4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And David and also Lord. said, Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. You see, we're right. we, we absolutely... there's no fear of God. See, listen to you. <sighs> no, watch what she did with that. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared, the text says. But there's no fear of God. You can't have the forgiveness without fear. Even as you say the verse, uh-huh. you don't carry it, you don't drill it down to make it real to this generation. You said you're feared. There's no fear of God in this country. What, are you kidding me? Have you ever stood up? Non-secular, by the way. She's not dealing with what the text says. What am I hitting her with, though? The gospel. Christ's love. His mercy. His forgiveness. His kindness. Our, our God is so amazing. His love abounds. Oh, the gospel is such good news. It is refreshment for the soul. All she's offering is God's scorching wrath, which Christ took upon himself for us so that we didn't have to. Stop and listen to these people talk. Absolutely. God ha, ha, your God's a big whip. He can't kill but a couple of soldiers at a time. <laughs> It's so sad. Listen to what she just said. Uh, you know, she's she's reciting people who are mocking what they're doing. Uh, because if you really think about it, you know, they claim that the proof that God's wrath is pouring out on the United States is the fact that we have dead soldiers returning. And if you listen to some of her other interviews, she says that the reason why they're out there protesting is to help people connect the dots to see, so that they can see that uh, that uh, America is under God's wrath. And what do her detractors say? Huh, 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 your God can't kill but a couple of soldiers at a time. Yeah, it'd be one thing if we had tens of thousands of soldiers coming home every day in body bags like they did you know, during World War II. Actually, they weren't even coming home. They were burying them, overse- burying them overseas. There were so many of them. But, I mean, the deaths in Iraq are coming in at a trickles rate at this point. How does that prove God's wrath? You feel sorry for her because it, her... Their claims just don't add up. And blah, blah, and on and on they go. Uh, I debate uh, non-Christians on a regular basis. But the message I bring is... yet you think that you have the right to offer them something that God has specifically kept from them. No, actually, i got to interject for myself here. My point was Christ commanded us to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And when we look at the apostles, what do we see them doing? 
they're offering the forgiveness of sins. They're proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to everybody. No regard as to whether or not they've repented or not. They're telling them of the forgiveness of sins. However, I don't know who the elect are. Is there a tattoo? That's that right. So shut up about trying to manage the message and tell them the truth. I don't. I'm, if they I, have a heart to know their God, actually, they're going to be like that 144. Yeah, she's a little tough to get a word in edgewise. Thousand Jews and that language that is used there that says that they will mourn for him. Surely, see, if God doesn't give you a heart to know him, you're not going to have a heart to know him. Surely, aren't you the one managing the message, though? You're out there preaching wrath and repentance, but you're not also preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. If you look again at Christ's words in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, he says that repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's not. I don't know who the elect are. I don't know who's going to respond. I don't know who God has predestined. They don't have what a, you've done is thrown up a straw man, and you're determined to beat the crap out of him. I, I don't think she understands what a straw man is at this point, but let's hear what she has to say. What's the straw man? The straw man is that we do not tell these people that they have got to repent to have forgiveness. Now, that's not what I said, by the way. What I said is that preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. She says there's a straw man. That you, I, I wasn't saying they don't tell people to repent. It's obvious they do, turn or burn. Um, but they're not telling them of the love of God. They're not telling them of the gospel, the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sins. So they, so isn't that, isn't, if you make repentance contingent upon them, aren't you basically making it contingent upon their decision, which you said they can't do? What you're doing is kicking against a conundrum that you don't understand. I, I just, this part of the, this interview just makes me laugh. Actually, because I, I see rather clearly in scripture that repentance itself is a gift from God. Exactly. And if God doesn't give you the gift, you're not going to have it. But that doesn't negate my duty to tell him. But you need to tell him the whole message. It's not just the wrath of God. It's also the forgiveness of sins and the full pardon offered in Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. When there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. What do you want from me? It says because of all. (laughs) Uh, She she seems a little uh, exercised there. these things, the wrath of God abides upon the children of disobedience. But it also I says... I do think that I'm going to say that any different than... Sometimes you just have to stay the course. Let them run it out. But get back get back on task. Stay on... Don't... What does the scripture say? Stand your ground. This is an example of standing firm. Then to just say it straight up. Have you ever read the passage that says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? Now listen to her response. It's very condescending... Oh, it, my goodness. It, God's kindness leads us to it's, it's, his loving kindness to his people. Yeah, she, notice she, she's not dealing with what that passage says. Because of the fact that he's at Christ's death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. What you really mean to be saying is, is I am determined to insist that Christ died for all men's sins. And, it, it, oh, man. So she's dead set on this Christ only died to, to the uh, for the elect, and somehow I'm trying to sneak in you know, to force her to believe in 
and uh, Christ died for the sins of the world, which is, by the way, what the Scripture says. But that's not what I'm trying to debate here. So I'm trying, you know, trying to get her off of that topic and back onto the topic that Westboro Baptist Church does not proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Only God's wrath, not his mercy. In which case, if you're going to do that, then you had better also say, therefore, there's no hell and... Everyone can go to heaven, and you can live like the very devil himself. I've never made such a claim, and you're, you've you have just... to make that claim, or else you're just going to have evil to say can, God is not sovereign. Evil can evil could not jump that canyon. Not sovereign, that man has more power than God. No. And I sometimes think she thinks she could win by argumentum ad volume. You know, the louder you shout, the more you win. Ay, ay, ay. No, I, it's a, what does it say in Scripture? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. No, it doesn't say that. Don't you pervert that verse. Oh. <laughs> I quote a passage of Scripture to her, and she just, wow. Uh, by the way, what was funny on, uh, you're going to hear this. Now, I, I'm going to read it to her in the Greek. I'm trying to do it rather quickly and, uh, and you know, get it out. Now, uh, a couple of you have emailed me and said, well, you know, there's uh, variant readings on this. Yes, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm an ESV guy, and I was trained theologically in Nestle Aland. So, uh, yes, I, I, I understand that the Texas Receptus has... Uh, uh, the Ramatos to Theo, uh, 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 the Ramatos Theo, the uh, the Word of God, but she wasn't taking issue uh, with the Word of Christ per se. She was translating it as the command of Christ. So we'll listen to this exchange. But what, what's her issue? She's it, she's not seeing uh, it as a word of grace. It's the command of God. That her God is man. He's commanding you. So. Which, by the way, I don't think you can translate Ramatos that way. Well, we continue. Okay, well, I can read it in Greek. I what heard would you... you say, I heard you pervert the verse. Okay, no, uh, 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 let, let me, let's pull it up here. You're saying I'm perverting it. Romans chapter well, I 10. I know what it says. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, so the faith, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through no. the word of Christ. Wait a minute. Where the heck, what are you reading? Romans, verse Romans Here's chapter. What are you reading? <laughs> Romans ten seventeen says, you ready? Listen careful. Okay. So then, faith mm-hmm. cometh by hearing, uh-huh. comma, and hearing by the word of God. It says the word of Christ. Hara he pistos ek akes he de hakon dia. rebel. No, I'm not. I'm reading it to you from the priest. <laughs> <laughs> You're a rebel. Put a sock in it. Oh man, that is just funny. Through the Ramatas Christu. It's through the word of Christ. On the wrong thing. See, listen to you. I'm reading it from the Greek here. It says the word of Christ, the Ramatas Christu, the word of Christ. Here's what you're doing. You do not want to know what this verse says because you want it to say what you want it to say. I'm, no, actually, I, no, I, man, I, I want to bend the knee to the word of God. Then so, be quiet. Then tell me. Moment. Okay, be I'll do that. <laughs> oh, this is just classic. Be quiet for a moment. <laughs> 
It's funny. I know some of you guys were emailing me saying that your blood pressure went up. This, ah, oh, you gotta laugh. You gotta laugh or you'll cry. By the way, I'm, I'm just doing a quick search in the uh, New Testament because uh, she's going to bring it back and basically say that it should be understood as the command of Christ, uh, the command of God. But uh, the Greek word for command is entole, and I'm I'm looking to see if I can find an instance in the New Testament where uh, the word rhema, which means word. Um, if, if that's ever translated as command and I'm not finding it, uh, parangolo entele, uh, horkizo. No, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying you can't, but I just, I'm not seeing an example of the word rhema. That means word. That's another word for word in the Greek is being translated as uh, command. But so, moment. so then faith cometh by hearing comma and hearing by the word of God. You can understand that if you read it this way. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the command of God. Notice the, God does not cause... Notice the punctuation there. The command of God. your ears to hear these words, you will never hear them. And there's no chance that you'll hear them if there's not someone telling you the truth about what those words say. But the truth isn't just raw repentance. It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's God's kindness. (laughs) She's not dealing with the argument. Blah, blah, blah. Boy, she's just a kind and just, just such a wonderful spirit, don't you think? You just talk in circles and throw so many words in the air, drill it down, and get some discipline upon it. (laughs) Drop and give me 20. I think this lady could take Rex Kwando. What do you think? The Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of his elect. And if he didn't die for your sins, you're toast. Uh, Do you understand that? You don't have any hope of salvation. Now watch this. I say I agree. If Christ didn't die for your sins, you're toast. However, I believe it says in Scripture that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. That doesn't mean everyone's going to have faith, but it does mean that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Salvation. Great. So then who who are the elect? Who are the elect? Can you spot them on the street? Okay, the reason I'm asking the question is because I know she's going to come up with a law answer. It helps to know if you press press a particular button, what's going to come out. Here's how you know them. And you'll find this language repeated again and again and again. You ready for this? I'm I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready, yeah. You can start with Moses saying it in Deuteronomy. God is faithful, and he keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and demonstrate that by obeying his commandments. And then here comes the punch in the face again for her. What am I doing? We're dealing with a legalist here. So what do you do with legalists? Crank up the law and bring it right back on them. Then are you of the... Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep, keep my commandments. Then you don't qualify because you still sin. Again, you hold the mirror of the law up. I'm not trying to be cruel here. I'm trying to get her to face reality. Her solution to the United States is that the United States has just got to obey. Just, It's real simple. Just obey. Well, if it was real simple, then how come she don't do it? See? There you go, Rebel. You want to... <laughs>
<laughs> I might have to change my name to Chris Rebel Rosebro. Man. But you're the one who's the rebel. You and your conduct. Here's what David Here's argumentum ad volume again. The louder you shout, the more right you are in how you win the debate. Said, try let's go with this this direction. David said, Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a gospel passage. She's quoting a gospel passage. Blessed is the man. <laughs> Do you feel blessed after hearing you read that passage? <laughs> blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who was God will not. <laughs> oh, man. You have to laugh or you'll cry. And on the flip side, uh-huh. blessed. He's going to tell you that same man in another description. Okay. Blessed is the man to whom God will impute righteousness. Right on. You do, just, There's the gospel right there. And she, she's arguing, she's trying to make counter my point by pointing me to a gospel passage and saying it in a law tone. <sighs> hold on. Right, no, I, I, you I, just hold on. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, if you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, that is your only hope. I agree. Because if you think that running your mouth about how you sin and you fall short, see, your stumbling block is the Lord Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God. You don't want it to be by his will and by his choice. You want it to be in the control of the human, that the human... She's she, At this point, she's uh, somehow forgotten the fact that she's... Uh, Talking to somebody who's made it very clear that I'm a monergist, but, well, okay. Someone can do something to get salvation. No, I don't. You're just out there in limbo, and you're just unable to do anything about it. No, I don't want to have... If, if, if my salvation depends any part on me, I'm doomed. I am so, so gone, it's not even funny. Yes. Notice again, I'm not playing the righteousness card on her. I'm a sinner. Yes, you are. Okay. And you are. I mean, I have just today earned hell. And I'm not I'm proud not of interested it. interested in your pseudo... She doesn't know what to do with sin. Here I am coming to her as a sinner. As a sinner saved by grace. And she can't deal with the sin talk. Ah, she's freaking out from it. Repentance. In your... Uh professions i don't want to know about your sins if you're ashamed of them then keep your mouth shut about them and don't <laughs> that's the you know what I'm, I'm sitting here laughing but that's it if you're ashamed of them then keep your mouth shut about them keep your mouth that's the problem right there there it is if you're ashamed of your sins you keep your mouth shut about them when we're invited from Scripture by Christ to confess our sins and receive from Him His mercy and grace and forgiveness and the gift of life and salvation and a free pardon, our debt canceled and paid by Christ Himself. If you're ashamed of your sins, you just keep that to yourself. There it is. Just push it down. Just push it down. Don't do it anymore. But see, the thing is, aren't, right? are you are you are you sinless now? Are you greater than the Apostle Paul? No, I, I'm trying to use that to segue because I was going to take her to Romans seven. 
never was able to get there. Okay. Now let's go back to your original nonsense. Okay. You're... <laughs> <sighs> go back to your original nonsense. Ah, <sighs> you know, I'm telling you, ever since discovering it discovered me salvation by grace through faith the gospel the good news i can i it is so freeing that you can even laugh when when somebody like this is insulting you you don't, you don't even have to take it personally what is she ultimately is she mad at me no she's upset at the offense of the gospel and she's trying to find a way to not have to give it to anybody because the God she believes in is always angry and barely, is only merciful to a select group of people. End of story. Her job is to go out and to declare the wrath of God. Original nonsense was, now, so what can this country do to fix it? Well, first I told you, nothing because it's too late. <laughs> nothing, nothing because it's too late. Nothing. But then I told you, because you see, you didn't, you didn't, you were not disciplined in your question. And that's the problem with most of this nation. You got no. I'm getting a scolding here. I'm being, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting teached. No discipline at all. And, and you surely don't have. You know, she reminds me of that guy from, uh, from the Back to the Future movies, Strickland. You're a slacker. You're a slacker. Discipline when it comes to talking about God. So here it is. Listen carefully. You can have the blessings of God upon... Now listen to this. This shows... Her, her, she thinks the law is achievable. That's uh, one of the... A telltale sign of a legalist and a Pharisee is they water down the law and think you can pull it off. Dilute it. The law doesn't dilute in water, by the way. It's non-soluble. But she thinks you can dilute it, and if you can keep it enough, then you'll get the blessings of God. This is really crazy what you're going to hear here. Listen. In your nation, if you have righteous policies, that's why I told you. Yeah. How many righteous policies do we need? One, two, or every one of them? That's, he's, this is why I say she's grading on a curve and she doesn't get what I'm saying. That the United States Supreme Court spoke for this nation and said, we will not have sodomy be a crime. You don't even have to care about heaven. You can still have the blessings of God. See, you don't have to care about heaven. You can have the blessings of God if you obey God's law. This shows a supreme lack of understanding of the law. Why? Because she says you can, you can have, you can have the blessings of God and not even care about heaven if yet because you can obey God's law. Hogwash. There's two tables to the law. The first table goes directly to your relationship with God. How can you not be heavenly minded and say that you're obeying the Lord your God when He says, "Love the Lord your God with all of your heart." The first table of the law has to do with our relationship with God. So what she's saying here is not true. It's not true at all. And she's watering down and diluting the law. And this is not taught in Scripture, which you're going to hear here. Again, what do legalists and Pharisees do? They think they can pull it off. What do you do with sin? You just suck it up, don't talk about it, and get to obeying. In this life and never see heaven. Because you obey. 
You can obey to a point. And uh, wow, that's just out there, man. And you can have righteous policies a nation can have. And you can have some blessings from God. You don't have to have total destruction from God. Doesn't the law demand... We also know... Wait a second. Doesn't the law demand perfect obedience? When did God start grading on a curve when it came to nations? I, I don't see that in the scriptures. I, and I don't know where you got that from. We can have some blessings from God if we obey some of God. Yeah, wow. You, you, I'm, I'm just reciting back your words. You basically said no, that the, the, if the nation has a grading on a curve, if it has what righteous was, policies, if you it don't ha- have to have an interest in heaven to be obedient and have blessings from God in this life. Oh wow! Would love for her to. If you guys know that verse, send it to me. I've never seen that one. But wait a second. If if I can be obedient to God in this life, then what do I need Christ for? I mean, seriously. I mean, going back to my salvation has to have something to do with my conduct. No, it has nothing. She doesn't understand. She doesn't get the gospel. She doesn't understand law and gospel. She only sees the law. And you can have blessings if you obey. That's it. That The law is clear. You can have blessings if you obey. Do you deserve blessings or do you deserve curses? How are you doing on that uh, earning the blessing part? And how would you know if you've done enough to earn a blessing from God? Since the law is never sleeping, it's never quiet, it never goes away, it's always demanding perfection in thought, word, and deed, every day, all the time. Nothing to do with your conduct. The point, the, the point, of, the, pur- the purpose of the law, security. the purpose of the law is to show us that we're transgressors and that we're sinners. The do law is not something. Do you think that all of the children of Israel were saved? And went to heaven? No. This is a critical question. Scripture is clear. Everybody who is saved is the people who have the same faith as Abraham. We're saved by grace through faith. It doesn't matter when you lived. Listen to what she says when I throw in there that anybody who was saved was saved by faith. Listen to her response. Oh. That's right. But yet. Was it based on their obedience or was it because they had. Israel. Well, of course, their destruction was based on their disobedience, well, and hold, you know it was. Well, hold on a second. Were those who were saved in Israel... Wait a minute. Well, hold on. Are no, no. I'm going with that proposition. I, I, I'm, I'm answering you. I'm was based surely, upon their disobedience. Surely, I'm answering yes no. you. No, it's based on faith. They didn't trust. Oh, yikes, 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 yikes. No, there it is. Yikes, 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 yikes. She doesn't understand the gospel. She doesn't understand faith. She doesn't understand the gift. She doesn't understand the good news. She only knows wrath, law, reward, and punishment. And she doesn't even see her own sinfulness. Not clearly to connect two and two. While she's out there demanding everybody to obey, she ain't obeying. She still sins daily and sins much. No good news. They didn't have the faith of Abraham. Go over there to 2 Chronicles 36 and read the word. Uh, Read Galatians. Read the word. I... (laughs) 
I think she thinks she can just shout me down, tell me what to do, you know, because she's a prophet. Galatians chapter 2. Come on. Chapter 2 is not talking to the children of Israel at the time of their destruction, the going in of the Babylonian captivity because of their disobedience. You said... It's lack of faith. Disobedience shows up as a fruit of lack of faith. And that's where we break up. Nothing good. Oh, man. Tell you, there's so much to just learn from that debate. I'm glad I went through it again. I hope that that little exercise, even though it was a little bit of redundancy as far as the topic of, of fighting for the faith, was useful for you. Now, as promised, I'm going to play for you a sermon that I think is just fantastic and does a fine job of dealing with this exact topic of our nation's rebellion and sin. And the solution offered is the forgiveness of sins and us reaching out to our neighbor. It's a fantastic sermon. I'm not going to interrupt it. It's by the Reverend James Gann of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bowie, Maryland. And it's just amazing. Uh, it, it's the perfect thing to end off this discussion of Westboro Baptist Church and their and their claim that God hates America and all that kind of stuff. It's the perfect solution for it, and it's found in Christ. So without any further ado, here's the Reverend Jane Gann of Trinity Lutheran Church. And the name of this and the name of the sermon is Prophets Among Us, and it's it's taken from a text from Ezekiel. Good stuff. You may or may not be aware of it, but our congregation follows a cycle of readings, a three-year cycle, that gets us through a large portion of the Word of God. And each Sunday, there are three appointed readings, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading. The people who make up the lectionary have the good intent of helping us see the full counsel of God. But every once in a while, I think they have a sense of humor and they throw us a joke. Like every once in a while, the gospel reading will end something like, and there will be weeping or gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. And of course, we're supposed to say thanks be to God, but we kind of wonder whether we really should be thanking him for that. There are other times when there's a certain irony to how the the readings line up. And today is one of those. Today, our lectionary lines up uncomfortably with our secular calendar. We just celebrated Independence Day yesterday when we remember our ancestors' successful rebellion against the then-oppressive British Empire. Now we're talking about God's judgment on a nation of rebels. Reading and preaching on this text today feels somehow unpatriotic, a sour note in the celebration. But God's word speaks to us where we are, and not always in a cheerful and tolerant way. So let's listen to what he has to say and see where it intersects with our lives. Before I get into talking about the words of the Old Testament reading, I want to tell you a little bit about the man who wrote it. His name was Ezekiel, and he was born into a priestly family. That means that his vocation should have been as a priest serving at the temple in Jerusalem. At the age of 30, when he should have been taking up his priestly duties, he found himself exiled into a foreign country. You see, the Babylonian Empire had invaded his country, Judah, that's the southern half 
of what had been Israel. And they had installed a puppet ruler. And about the same time, they deported about 10,000 people and brought them to other places in the Babylonian Empire. It was part of a resettlement program that was intended to settle people down. If you take everyone out of their home and mix them all up, then they have to kind of get along together. And you don't have these little ethnic rebellions going on in different parts of your empire. So that's what they were up to. Ezekiel was one of those exiles. So on his 30th birthday, instead of becoming a priest, well, he was out by a canal called the Kibar Canal that came off the river Euphrates in Babylon. And that's when God called him to a different vocation. Instead of being ordained a priest, Ezekiel was to become a prophet. Just before today's reading, Ezekiel was starting to have his first prophetic vision, a vision of heaven and of the glory of God. It's one of the most famous visions in the Bible. Uh, There are four living creatures, and each has four faces, and they have these multiple wings, and they they move around, and, and when they go fly through the air backwards or forwards, they don't just turn around and fly in that direction like a bird. They move backwards or they move directly sideways. And next to them are these things that Ezekiel describes as wheels that have eyes on the rims. And they move around synchronized to these four living creatures. It's a really strange vision. By the way, the African-American spiritual, a wheel within a wheel way up in the middle of the air, that comes from Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel sees this, and then he sees something above it, and it's the throne of God, and he begins to realize that something really scary and serious is going on here. In his own words, he says, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. Then he hears the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel continues, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. So you notice that he is so overwhelmed, he can't even get up. The Spirit somehow moves him and sets him down on his feet. And then God commissions Ezekiel to speak to his countrymen with a message. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them. God calls the nation of Israel nations of rebels. He isn't referring to Israel rebelling against other countries, nor is God referring to people in Israel rebelling against their nation's laws. They are 12 tribes or nations of rebels, and they have rebelled collectively against God by transgressing his commandments. The people of Ezekiel's day weren't the only rebels, too. Their ancestors had been rebels. Ezekiel's contemporaries got it honest, we would say. The apples didn't fall far from the trees. The people of Israel had periodically rebelled against God throughout their history. Much of sacred history in the Old Testament consists 
of observing Israel rebel and how God calls them back. When God first rescued them from Egypt, they promised that they were going to worship him. And then they immediately went and made a gold statue of a calf, a baby cow, and they started worshiping it. Later, they struggled against Moses, God's appointed leader. Once God had gotten them into the land that he promised to give them, they refused to completely take the land from its previous inhabitants, despite God's command. They started adopting the local gods and worshiping them and neglecting the worship of the one true God. Some people even sacrificed their children in order to honor these fake gods. All that God asked of them, sacrificially anyway, was that they burn up some grain, some first fruits, maybe that they uh, occasionally burn an animal from their large flocks, but God never asked them to sacrifice their children. Yet these idols... These false gods, they were offering their their firstborn to them. Powerful and rich people in Israel began oppressing the weak and helpless, even going after widows and orphans. Periodic rebellion gradually became continuous rebellion, and eventually God had enough. Even after God sent the Egyptians and then the Babylonians to discipline Israel in this episode, they refused to listen. So God was going to perform an even harsher act of discipline, and he was going to warn them ahead of time so that they could turn around, that they could repent and not have to face those consequences. And he was going to give them the message through Ezekiel. Here's what he told Ezekiel he was to do. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. In other words, Ezekiel was to pass on God's messages, whether they be messages of judgment or of grace, law or gospel, and he was to tell the people who they were from. Thus says the Lord God. People could listen to Ezekiel or they could ignore Ezekiel, but they would know one way or another that they were hearing a prophet with a message from God. It's an interesting history, huh? But what does that have to do with us? God's Old Testament scriptures were written for us too, and this one is no exception. Ezekiel's commission tells us something about how God thinks about nations and how he wants his people to relate to their own earthly country. Here we learn how duty to God intersects with duty to country. God's judgments are law-based judgments. Here's what I mean by that. God has set laws up that he intends for all mankind to fulfill. We use the Ten Commandments as a convenient summary of God's law. The first three commandments speak of the right relationship that we are to have with God. You shall have no other gods. You are to use the Lord's name rightly. And we are to remember the Sabbath day. The next seven commandments, the last seven, speak of how God expects us to relate to our fellow man. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit acts of sexual immorality. Don't steal. Don't bear false testimony against your neighbor. 
don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's relationships. When people keep these laws, God is pleased. Any country that runs God's way is a great place to live. Because you see, the rule of these absolute laws and law under those laws ends oppression and creates equality. It gives people freedom. Countries that live under God's laws are great places to live. When people discard God's law, it angers God. And the way things are set up, any country that ignores God's laws or goes against them becomes a terrible place to live. It becomes full of oppression. It becomes dangerous for good people. That's not wishful thinking on Christians' part. It's how God has set up the world to work, and it's what God tells us in the only written communication he has given us, the Bible. A nation that chooses to ignore or suppress the law of God becomes a nation of rebels, a collection of people who, by and large, insist on transgressing against God, and it becomes a hell on earth. God calls his people to speak his word to their nation, whatever nation it may be. His people are to pass on the full counsel of God, whether it be his law and the threats that go with it or his gospel and the promises that go with it. Other people in that country can listen to God's people. They can refuse to listen to them, but they should know that they are hearing a message from God. Where our nation is straying, it needs to hear the stern threats and warnings that God gives us in his word. Last week, our nation's president held up as heroes people who rioted for the right to commit sexual immorality without consequences. They are now our heroes. When we set up our society so that it encourages lust and vice, but it does not discourage these things, we are inviting oppression and injustice into our land. Our beloved nation needs to be warned about the consequences of these things. Over the past months, we have watched a financial crisis unfold, a crisis based on credit and predatory lending. When we set up our society so that it encourages usury, that is extracting unreasonable payments, and discourages mercy, we are inviting weakness and unfairness into our land. Our beloved nation needs to be warned about the consequences of these things. Over the past months, we have seen the ranks of the poor and the helpless increase. And part of that is because of lack of wise and godly teaching in our schools and our institutions, including in our federal government. When we set up our society so that it encourages greed and discourages those who would help the poor, we are inviting nothing less than the judgment of God on our land. Our beloved nation needs to be warned about the consequences 
of its actions. And yet the people of God remain silent. Where are the Christian voters to toss out of office the fools that would lead us into the path of destruction? Where are the Christian statesmen to call this nation to righteousness? I listen and I hear many cranks and fools who claim to speak for God. They don't. No wonder the world laughs at us. I listen and I do hear a few voices of godly reason. But with all the people who claim to be Christians in this nation, I would expect a groundswell of support for God's ways. But I don't see it. I know that I'm, by and large, I'm preaching to the choir here. These things I hear reflect in a lot of things that Trinity people say, or email, or whatever. But what about the people out there? Do they hear that? People outside our parking lot. Are you being silent as our nation begins to head toward godlessness and God's accompanying judgments? Have you compromised your calling because it's easier to remain silent or to speak softly than to take action? If so, that is a form of sin, and you need to repent of it. God wants to forgive you every sin including the sin of remaining silent when we need to speak out. He has given us Jesus to bear the punishment for all our sins so that we don't have to face those consequences. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and the sins of the whole world. He rose from the dead in order to promise you a new life now and forever. In Jesus, you have the forgiveness of all your sins. In Jesus, you have a fresh start. In Jesus, you have the opportunity to live a godly life as a benefit to your neighbor and to your nation. In Jesus, you have the right and the power to speak God's life-giving word to other people. In Jesus, God's people don't have to remain silent. We can speak God's law to this nation. We can proclaim the need for repentance to individuals and to institutions. We can tell all who will hear about Jesus... We can tell all about Jesus who will hear us. We can tell them how he died to take away their sin too, how he lives to give them life with God. We can pray for our politicians and encourage them to turn to Jesus and begin doing what is right. When they do things that are right, we can encourage them in it and uphold them. We can intervene in our various callings so that the wisdom and the goodness of Jesus, our God, begin to pervade our institutions and our businesses and our schools and our homes. We can persuade other people in peaceful and godly ways so that they will want to join us in our request, in our quest for a godly nation. We can call our nation to righteousness and the blessings that God bestows on nations that obey him. And thus, in Jesus we can be a blessing to our beloved country. Many of the people of our nation need to hear about Jesus. Many of the people of our country need 
to be taught right from wrong because they don't know it anymore. Many of the people of our land need to hear the good news that there is another way and that they can take it. May the people of our nation know that prophets have been among them, even the people of God, even you. May our country be a place that loves God's ways, discourages lawlessness, and encourages righteousness. May it be a place that rescues the poor and the helpless, and that gladdens the heart of God. May the Lord bless and prosper us in the United States of America. Amen. Amen. Ah, good stuff. Just the exact antidote antidote for what we just heard from the poison from Westboro Baptist. And folks, pray for Shirley Phelps Roper. Pray for our nation and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your neighbors. Confront them with their sins. Call them to repentance and proclaim to them the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ in the cross. You can't do any better service of love to your neighbor than to do that. And maybe, just maybe, God will grant America repentance and will grant us a period where we would repent and trust in Christ and Christ would renew us with his refreshing word of forgiveness of the gospel. There's still hope as long as Christ hasn't returned yet, and there's no reason to say that the battle is lost, because ultimately, the devil is already defeated and the battle belongs to Christ. Let us do what Christ has called us to do, to humbly and boldly proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. All right, sadly, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means your financial support is critical, vital, necessary, uh, not uh, optional for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. You can support us a couple of ways. You can, one, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and clicking on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. uh, That allows you to send your gift securely instantly online. Or you can uh, make your gift check payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's program, you can talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or look me up on Facebook. My name is uh, Chris Roseborough, R-O-S-E-B-R-O-U-G-H. Or you can uh, ask, uh, follow me on Twitter. My, my name there is Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you in his grace and mercy, won for you by Christ on the cross, which he lavishes on you as a free gift. Amen. Amen.